Hey guys. It's so good to be back at Vintage. This is just such a great place. Um, there, are, there are a lot of things um, we miss, and this is at the top of the list. What a great, great place you have been blessed to find. Um, normally, I, um, when I share, but Gary says he, he invites me, you know, to speak if, if I come. But I've noticed there's a pattern of when he invites me. Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's pre-gaming. <laughs> That's all I know. Um, normally I bring you a, a psychologist joke or two, but we have a short time today, so we're gonna hop into it. I'm, I'm gonna start with giving you two words as the title of today's time together. And I want you to think about these two words as we go through what I'm gonna share with you. I wrote a book on this with these two words as the title. And the two words are necessary endings. Necessary endings. Think about those two words. Necessary, if something is necessary, it means we have to have that occur in order for something else to be. Ending means something stops. It no longer is. It's gone. Necessary endings have to occur in order for some things that we want in our life, in our lives to have happen. And that's what we're gonna look at today. You know, there's one, there's many truths in, in the Bible <clears throat> and in the ways of Jesus and God's ways. But one of the things that we know that God is always, always doing, this truth is throughout the whole book, throughout our lives, one thing he's always doing is he's always trying to call us to something new and something better. Now, they may, that may mean a big change sometimes, as we'll see, and it may mean even without anything changing in a context, but a new and better way of doing whatever we're doing. But he's always in the growing and making us and life get to a better place business. And sometimes that involves pain. It doesn't look better, but he is always moving. And he's always also calling us not only to new and better, but he's also always inviting us to leave some things that are not so good behind us. And you can just bet every day in a million ways, he's whispering along those two paths. So we're gonna look at how this, this happens today. When I wrote the book, the reason I wrote the book, I'm, I'm not smart enough to come up with ideas. Um, I have a day job <clears throat> and I spend many, 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 many days um, sitting in war rooms um, when I did a lot of clinical work with people working through life issues, mostly I, I work in the field of leadership now with CEOs and their companies. And in those war rooms, I just found over the course of a couple of years, I found myself having the same conversation over and over and over. And I, I, that's how God speaks to me about writing. This is something that it would be good to go into and research and find out about because this is a problem for many people. 
And the conversation was, even among high performers and some of the strongest people that you know we look at, even they have difficulty sometimes ending something. They have difficulty letting go of something that they're invested in. It might be a strategy. It might be a person. It may be an entire business. It may be whatever context and in people's personal lives. Letting go is a hard thing to do. It's really, really hard. How many of you are hoarders? <laughs> you know why? Okay, this is a big room. No hands go up, one or two. You know why? They're all in denial. <laughs> they are. You can't be a hoarder without using a lot of denial. How many of you are really organized? Okay. How many of you organized people are helpful? The technical term is codependent. Okay. Yeah, I'll tell you, you know what happens when a codependent dies? Somebody else's life's, life's flesh is before their eyes because they're always trying to help everybody else. But if you're organized and codependent, you have volunteered your time to one of your hoarder friends. Because you look at that garage, you look at that closet, you go, I can help you. And they go, oh yeah, help me. And you come over and you wade into there and you know, you go and you pick up the first thing you say, how long has it been since you used this? And they go, 20 years? They go, they, they have electric ones now. I mean, why don't we throw this one away? And no! You go, why not? And they say, I might need that holding on and then you pick up something else and you go what's this and they, they go that was Johnny's first poopy diaper can't throw that away well Johnny's 40 playing video games on the couch because she can't kick him out of the house either but we hold on because of attachments and fears and we'll look at that but God is many times saying, I got something way better for you. But you gotta loosen the grip. So I started to study this and, and what I did was um, I, I really wanted to learn because the Bible talks a lot about something called pruning. And I started to look in the scriptures and what it says is that God is always pruning. And he prunes in several contexts, which we're gonna talk about. But one of my favorites is, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. So he's the source, and we'll look at the science of pruning in a second, of what the vine does, and then we are producing fruit in our lives. Good fruit or bad fruit. But he's always trying to prune. And what he says is that, even those that are producing good fruit, he'll prune them, getting rid of stuff so they can have better and more fruit. And then on the other side, he said if the, the branches are producing fruit, then he cuts it off. So I go talk to the pruners and I actually, um, I flew all the way to Tuscany to talk to literally um, the greatest winemaker in the world. He won the best wine in the world three years in a row. Um, I might've gone for personal reasons, but this was, a, <laughs> this was a scientific project. And so I, I went to him and, and he's gonna walk me through the vineyards. We did an episode on this and filmed the whole thing. And, and he was walking me through the vineyards and I'm expecting to hear about, you know, when you start like pruning the vines. 
And I said, well, let's hop into it. And he says, well, the first thing, and this surprised me, but the first thing the pruner said was, we don't start with pruning because that's what we would do at our house, you know, drive up in the driveway and go, where's the house? When's the last time we had these trees pruned? See, we see it as only as a problem, but he said, you don't start there. He says, you've got to start with the vision. He said, when I look at the vineyard, I've got to see the vineyard in 10 years and what I want it to look like and all the way down to each particular vine, what am I trying to create on that particular vine? I've got to see the ideal first because you don't prune stuff just away, you prune towards something good. So as you're gonna go think about this, I hope later, um, what's your vision for the area of life that you're looking at? What do you want a marriage to look like? What do you want your health to look like? What do you want your career? Whatever it is, what do you want that kid to look like? That we have a vision of what it is we're trying to build. So let's start there. And then you ask the second question, what exists right now that does not fit that future? And that becomes the key to everything. What am I doing now involved in? How am I behaving? What, what is it that I'm doing that if that doesn't end, I won't have that. And that's how pruning begins. So I go talk to the rosebush people and um, after the winemaker, didn't do it the next day. <laughs> that was a joke, it's just a joke. <laughs> and so here's what the rosebush people tell me. They said the same thing. They said, well, first we start with the vision and knowing what an ideal champion rose looks like. And I said, why? He said, because the bush is going to create more buds and more branches than it can sustain to full fruition of what a rose should be because it's all taking resources. So we start pruning. And then they said we prune in three contexts. It's the same thing the wine guy said. We prune in three contexts. And I'm going to go through these and unpack them and we're going to look at life. The first one is there, it's going to have more buds than it can sustain. And many of them are really healthy, but they're not the best. And we're using resources for not the best that could go to what can become the best if they had those resources. Secondly, there's some that are sick and not gonna get well. And you know, you fertilize them and you work with them <clears throat> and you try to help them. In California, you blow a little smoke on them. It's legal. Some of you are just afraid to laugh, I know. <laughs> but you do whatever you can. You know, you get them coaching and you send them to therapy and all of this kind of stuff. And at some point you just realize that dog ain't gonna hunt. That's what we used to say in the South. It just, it's sort of like teaching a pig to sing. Have you ever tried to teach a pig to sing? Don't think of your boyfriend right now. But <clears throat> it really, the music is bad and it frustrates the pig. There's just some things that aren't gonna work, okay? So that's the sick and not gonna get well. And then the third category is a bunch of branches that are dead. They're just taking up space. So I wanna hop into these and unpack them in a way that we can, can hopefully begin to identify some things that are keeping you 
from what God has for you in your lives. So when I get into it, I'm looking at the pruning science and all that. Then I go back to the scriptures and all of a sudden I saw a passage that I had read a thousand times. And not only if you've, if you've never read the Bible and you're here as a visitor this morning or you came from one of these incredible little lives that we saw, let's hear it for the parents. <clears throat> so cool, so cool. Speaking of necessary endings, your life of sleeping is over. So when I get into this and I start to, to look at what the scriptures say, I came across this passage and here it is. You might remember the, the song by the birds, turn, turn, turn to everything. There's a season, turn, turn, turn. I can't sing, but you know the words. But here's where it's from. It's Ecclesiastes 3. It says, everything, there's a season under heaven for these activities. And it's beginnings, but look at the passage through these eyes. I never had seen it before. The whole passage is about beginnings, but also endings. And many of these are good things, born and die. Look at this, a time to plant, but a time to uproot what's been planted. Many good things in our lives, we plant and we tend to it and we grow it and it's a good thing and we get a lot of fruit from it, but at some point it's time to even uproot those good things because it's a new season. If we can keep going there. Necessary ending for the video guy there. Um, <laughs> kidding. <clears throat> Maybe performance review. Okay. <laughs> I am playing. Okay. L look at this one. A time to tear down and a time to build. Now, I used to think about that one, you know, you build it, but then you tear it down. But what's, what's it saying? We got to tear it down before we can build what's new. It's got to precede it. The ending has to come first. Weep and laugh, mourn and dance. And change the page. A time to get, really scatter stones and then a time to gather them all up. Sometimes you say the party's over. Let's take everything home. A time to, and this is a hard one, embrace. Embrace certain visions and strategies and dreams or even people. And then a time to refrain from embracing. And then a time to search, we look for answers, we look for ways to fix it, and this, that, and the other. Sometimes it's time to give up. So as we go through this, I want you to think about there are many things in, in our lives that have seasons, and sometimes that season has passed. And it may be the season of my frame is frozen. Okay, we're gonna wing it. The first one, is this good but not best. Good but not best. A friend of mine bought a company one time. Um, it was a small company, 25 million or so in sales. And within a handful of years, about four years or so, five-ish, he had taken it to 500 million. And on his way to a billion, I asked him, how'd you do this? And he said, well, when I looked at all the activities the company was doing. He said, I looked at all those and he said, and I'll never forget this phrase, the life of the company in the future was in about 20% of what it was involved in. 
And so I called my management team together and said, January 1st, I want all this other stuff gone. We need all our people and resources to focus here. I don't care if you have to give it away. I don't care if we lose money on it, but we're going here and we got to get rid of this. And there was pushback. But I said, oh, so the, the 80% was not profitable. And here was his genius. I said, oh, it was all profitable. It was all profitable. It just wasn't the best. And we needed those resources. See, many times our lives, like the bush, we're creating more activities and more things we're involved in and more things we love. And, and companies have this problem all the time. And, and we've grown all this stuff. And you have meetings and policies and, and product lines. And, and it just gets this big. And it's time to say, where's the life? And our lives are like that. Tori and I were going out to dinner. <clears throat> and we're getting ready. We're going out to dinner with this couple. And... Um, I found myself slowly kind of getting depressed. So what is wrong with me? I thought we were going to this, I love the restaurant. I love Tori. Thought about the couple. And I thought, why aren't we going out with them? And we kind of did it sort of somewhat every now and then frequently. And <clears throat> I thought about it and they were good people. I mean, we enjoyed them and this and the other, but I looked at kind of the years and, and when we had really known them, it was very involved time um, with some, you know, activities were involved in. The season was great and all of that, but they had gone a different direction in life. And they were pursuing different kind of things than we really cared about. And we just, that season, it seemed like, why are we doing this? And, and so I asked her, I said, I said why, why are we going out with them? She said, because you wanted to. I said, I don't want to. She said, I don't either. <laughs> I said, well, why? Are... And so we started to unpack this. And, and I'm thinking there as I'm getting depressed, well, if we had this time available, there's relationships that, that we want to go deeper in and we need this time. I mean, we could go out with Gary and Lizzie tonight if we weren't doing this, or at least Lizzie. <laughs> I mean, this could be really, you know, and how many times have you had that conversation with somebody, you know, oh, we're just so busy, we're just so busy. Sometimes God is calling us to something that he wants to go deeper and richer and some things have to be pruned. Now that's the first scenario. I'm sure you have many good things in your lives, but you gotta look at and basically, what are we talking about? Everybody comes into life with two big resources. Every, those babies, they got two big resources that all of us started with. Time, they got a certain amount of moments ahead of them. And we all have different amounts of moments. And their second resource is energy. The energy of their heart, mind, soul, and strength and moments that they will take that time and invest that energy in that will build lives. And so to, to look at that and then we start building resources and there's money and talent and, and relationships and all this kind of stuff. Where is it going that's really good but to get there, I need that time to invest I was thinking about sister-in-law. Um, they have three kids, and they're entering empty nest land. 
And <laughs> by the way, those babies will one day grow up and leave. I remember when we dropped Olivia, our oldest, off to college. I didn't, I didn't even know Uber drivers had Kleenex. <laughs> I have never, many, many times, never many times, felt pain like that. Dad gummit. We did everything right, and they grow up and get competent and leave. That's your payback. And it was awful, but I knew it's such a bittersweet thing because now it's time for that season of her life. But ours had ended, but we still had one more at home we could try to screw up. And so a few years later, Lucy goes off to college, and Tori and I are in the, quote, empty nest. And about the second week, we're in the kitchen, and we're, we're getting dinner ready, <laughs> and Tori goes, am I supposed to feel guilty that I really like this? <laughs> you know, the new season, once you get through the pain, there's some good things to that too, but a lot of times it's good stuff. We have to let go of. All right, so that's the first category. Now we're gonna get to even sometimes a harder one, and that's the one where the things are sick and they're not getting well, sick and not getting well. Now this one is uh, something we can all identify with. You know, a lot of times it can be in business or, or personal life. I remember um, when the girls were about 10 or 12, we were eating breakfast one morning <clears throat> and I said, what's happening today? They goes, well, we got something at school called the power team. I said, oh, they're so cool. There's strong guys that come in and they can, Olivia, Lucy, they're amazing. They can take your teacher and lift her up over their heads and they can take a block of ice and punch it and it'll break. I said, but the most amazing one, they can take a phone book and rip it in half. Olivia looks at me and goes, what's a phone book? <laughs> She's 12 years old. She was born in an age where that season had passed. So the next day I, I go to New York for business and I'm standing in line at JFK to, for a car. The lady standing next to me, I said, so what brings you to New York? She says, business. I said, what do you do? She said, oh, we make phone books. <laughs> I said, you should talk to my daughter. You know, sometimes we hold on to stuff emotionally and that season has passed because it's, that business model is sick and not getting well and we've got to reinvent, but we get, we get emotionally tied to stuff. I mean, why did it take a bankruptcy judge instead of the smartest car executives in the world, why did it take a bankruptcy judge to get GM to shut down Pontiac? When's the last time one of you bought a Pontiac? Unless it's vintage. You know, it hadn't made money in 40 years when they shut it down. There were people who couldn't let go. How many of you married your prom date? Okay. All right, first of all, how many married people we have in here? All right. How many of you are married to your prom date? See, there's the exception every time proves the rule, but the rest of you are looking back and go, oh God, did I dodge a bullet? <laughs> right? That was an ending. What if you hadn't have been able to say, I'm just not feeling it, which is the new breakup line, right? <laughs> Endings are necessary. I guess y'all have put an end to this sermon. Okay. <clears throat> Endings are necessary. 
Sometimes they're hard, you know, I was, um, but we get stuck in, you know, hope is a great virtue, but one of the worst virtues you can have is hope. If you're going down a wrong road, the hope that that road's gonna turn into the right road. When the kids were, were growing up, um, we had a babysitter who was single and um, she would travel with us a lot of times and, and we go to Hawaii for spring break and, and she would always go with us from the time the kids were gone. By the way, you parents, get somebody to travel with you. <laughs> All you're doing is moving the chaos to another zip code if you don't. But we, she would travel with us, and she was really, you know, part of the family. The girls loved her, and she would always go. Well, they get to be about, you know, 12 or 13. They wouldn't even go without her anymore. We didn't even need her to really help, but they, you know. But so she's really integrated in, into their lives and all this. Well, Lucy, the little one, is she's about six at this time, and we are... Standing on the beach on Sunday, getting the last time on the beach. You know, everybody's invested in going to the beach on Sunday morning because we got to go back. Except our friend, she's standing over the side on her cell phone, sobbing and upset. And we know she's talking to her boyfriend. I won't mention his name, but in the Greek or Hebrew, it's a bad word. Um, <laughs> nightmare. Lucy, our six-year-old, goes, Dad, remember last year on Sunday? She was standing over there crying on the phone. Same guy. Same guy. Sometimes a six-year-old can see it. But we're so stuck in this program. And we keep having hope. And it's not going to get better. But sometimes... Marriages like this, sometimes people can feel that way. It's not the person we need to get rid of. Sometimes what has to end is the way that we're being in that relationship. And I've seen many, many, many marriages where they were at the point, I just have to move on. We've grown past each other or whatever until you can hit pause long enough to have some necessary endings to some patterns on either side, even from the good one, of how that's being dealt with, you know, seeing God restore impossible situation. But so it's not always the person. We don't always have to leave our company or our career, but sometimes the way that we are being in it. I remember another single guy that came to me one time, he's trying to decide, I said, how can I help? He said, I'm trying to figure out if my girlfriend is the one. I said, well, tell me about her. And he starts telling me about her. He goes, but I don't know. She's, I said, well, what are the problems? And he's going this and this and this. And, and <clears throat> I said, I don't know. You know, she's, she's really not spiritually where I would like her to be. And, and I'm listening to this. And so I said, you know what? I get it. I don't think she's the one. He said, yeah, I kind of thought maybe she isn't. He said, why do you say that? I said, well, I was thinking about what kind of woman would be good for you. And she's definitely, she's not going to fit. So I was starting to think of what kind of woman. And then I began to realize, I think you should get a dog. <laughs> I go, he says, what? And I said, well, with a dog, you know, they can, they'll play with you when you want to. You know, they'll kind of be on your timetable and do whatever you want, and they're fun, and, and you can train them. 
I said, but then I started thinking about, it. you know, the dog's not going to work really because you might have to come home early one day to let them out or you might have to get up in the middle of the night to take them outside because they're scratched on the door to go potty or you might have to get up early or something. I said, a dog is going to inconvenience you, so that's not going to work. God forbid a woman. I got it. You should get a goldfish. And he's looking at me like, I'm crazy, but I'm so smart about this. I said, goldfish, you just, you know, you can put it there and it looks beautiful and you can show it off to your friends and drop it a few crumbs every now and then. I think you should get a goldfish, but definitely not marriage. He had to realize, and we worked further, and ultimately, um, about a year and a half later, he did find the one. Why? Because he became the one. He changed his ways that was getting in the way of what God had brought him five good ones by then. But he had to do some work. And see, what we don't realize, a lot of times we're talking about pruning. We're not just talking about you pruning. What we're talking about is God is always trying to prune and prune our lives. It's an invitation from him to us to participate. I just had three surgeries in the past few years and, and got out of a lot of pain. I'm great. I have no pain now. Um, I got both knees replaced and I'm playing golf again and everything's great. But I'm so glad I didn't hop off the table in the middle of the surgery because it gets painful. They knock you out. See, God's always trying to, to prune us and sometimes it's painful, but we have to sign up sometimes to go through the work because it's hard because we have fears. And it's hard to let go. I was in, when the kids were little, a little group, parenting group, and it was mostly moms and me, it was, it was parenting preschool, and it's something I decided I was going to do with the girls. So you go play for a couple hours and, you know, finger paint and all this stuff. But the last half hour, you sit in the, I was in a mommy's group, and it was me. And <clears throat> so <laughs> we always talk about problems. And, and the, this woman, high power type, you know, executive type, she comes in and says, I got a problem. We said, what? And they said, have you ever had to fire your nanny? And people have had to go through it. She goes, she says, I just can't do it. I mean, she's, we love her and she's so great, but she's just not what the kids need. And there's the years going, and I just can't do it. And we walked her through a script and how to do it and sent her back and said, we'll come back next week and tell us what happened. She comes back. We said, did you fire the nanny? She goes, no. I couldn't, I mean, when I was going to, I sat down talking to her and ended up giving her a raise. I just, <laughs> I couldn't get the words out. He said, well, next week you're going to do it. So we walk her through it again. She doesn't do it for like three or four more weeks and we keep coming back. And so we told her, if you don't do it this week, you're out of the group. She comes back the next week and we go, what happened? She said, well, I, I couldn't do it. So I, I got my husband to do it. We're going, okay, well, at least you solved your problem. What happened? She goes, well, I couldn't even be there when he did it, and he was going to do it at lunch, and I, I went out, and I came back, and I walk in the house, and my husband is in the kitchen, and I look out on the patio, and there's this guy sitting out there talking to the nanny. And I look at him, and he goes, he's kind of caught. She said, what? He goes, 
that's the guy I hired to fire the nanny. <laughs> See, this stuff is not easy. It's not easy. But God, I know every person in here because if, you know, just because the way he does life. And it may be a career change. It may not be. It may be patterns. It may be that we need to change even in our careers. It may be in a relationship. I don't know what tomorrow and better looks like for you, but I do know that to get there, it's going to involve letting go of some stuff. And he will help you with that. So I'm going to close with one reading you, one little verse here. Um, it's, it's just so true. It's out of 1 Peter. He says, therefore, since Christ suffered, because Christ put a necessary ending to something called death. Necessary ending to something called death. But he had to suffer to do it. It was painful. And then he says, arm yourselves. Since he suffered, arm yourselves with the same resolve because anyone who has suffered in their body is done with sin. Now we know that doesn't mean we're done with making mistakes and all of that. But it means that we have left some things, you know, these patterns in relationship of bitterness and, and all this kind of stuff that we have to get over and anger. We've got to be done with it. And then this is the part I want you to hear. Therefore, he doesn't live out his remaining time on earth for human passions, our desires that just keep getting in the way of good life. It doesn't mean good things. It means these involvements that aren't bringing health in what we're doing. And then here's the phrase, for you have spent enough time in the past carrying out the same desires as everybody else, but he's calling us to something different. Now, I don't mean religion and go become some religious kook. I stayed away from God for a long time because religious people, I'm not very religious. I, I, I used to say, I like God, I just don't like his friends. They're weird. <laughs> and some of you might be visiting today or came for one of these babies. Maybe you're just, you never would go to church because I agree with you. You got hurt or saw these religious stuff and you thought it was crazy. And so does God. It was the religious people that didn't like Jesus and he wasn't too fond of them either. He hung out with the normal people and he offered him something different, which was not religion, but a relationship. So whether you're exploring faith or into the faith, I can promise you every day God is giving little hints. What need do I need to let go to, let go of to have what he wants for me? God bless you guys. Thank you.